0: Yeah, who Sports Hockey podcast, Justin Cuthbert hanging out on day four of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we are off to a pretty rousing start here with some very interesting series and storylines developing. Some epic quotes, some questionable meal choices between overtime periods, suspensions, fines. Really, round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs already has it all. Now, it's no secret where most of my attention has been. I've spent two of the first three game nights at Scotiabank Arena, watching the Lightning and Leafs. But I have been doing my best to keep tabs on everything that's going on. So I'm going to make my way around the league here after three nights heading into the fourth night of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I think we need to start with the most decisive series lead, although there is an argument that Colorado has that after just one game versus Nashville. But the biggest lead does belong to the Hurricanes, who hold a 2-0 advantage over the Boston Bruins. This series has been red hot. We've got David Pasternak running netminers and removing them from the game. We've got fiery third string netminers coming into the game and challenging Brad Marchand to a fight and stopping 30 of 32 shots to get the win in the process. Pyotr Kachetkov is an experience altogether, but this has been a very Boston Bruins series, but it's been won to this point exclusively and cleanly by the Carolina Hurricanes. And this shouldn't really be a surprise. I mean, despite past postseason failures in this matchup, Carolina has just continued its dominance over the Bruins throughout the course of the season. They've now outscored Boston twenty-four to two after a handful of regular season meetings and now two meetings in the postseason. But it's not just the scoreboard; the aggregate scoreboard. Carolina has wilted in previous postseasons. They've faded away when it's become tough. But they have matched Boston historically, one of the most comfortable teams when it gets tough. From a physicality standpoint, and don't believe me, as Campus Lindholm, who was crushed by Andrei Svechnikov, and the best part of that quote, and that hit, and that highlight, was the quote, I guess, I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, he said afterwards, I feel bad for the guy, I feel bad for the guy, after knocking him into a new galaxy, with one of the best hits we'll see the entire postseason long. Uh, Carolina has made a statement here, I think a stronger one than any other team so far. We are only three nights in, but now it's on Boston to see if they can earn some of that respect back as the series shifts to TD Garden. Now the second most intriguing series for me here is Edmonton and LA. It's another series that's really had it all. I mean, we're seeing... Unbelievable top-end talent on both the offensive and defensive side. We're seeing Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl try to break down that strict structure in the elite, the elite defensive play of Philip Deneau and Andre Kopitar. We also have two different goaltenders, both of which are up there in age, turning back the clock at times and looking exceedingly vulnerable at times. I mean, Mike Smith's giveaway in the final moments of game one I mean, that was like the perfect snapshot of Mike Smith. He's just a guy who has, well, he's struggled in the postseason for Edmonton. He struggled in the postseason over the last, what, decade of his career, at least it seems. It's a guy who wants it so much and maybe wants it too much, and I think showed it in that game. On the flip side, Jonathan Quick has been outstanding, and he, like Smith, is a reactionary and athletic goaltender who looks like he's just the Jonathan Quick of old sometimes, but then he gets hung up for six goals in game two as Edmonton evens the series. Incredible atmosphere so far in Edmonton. The Oilers fans finally had a postseason win to celebrate after the tremendous response after that game one letdown. For the first time in, what, five years in game two? That building behind that team and that version of the team, high scoring and physical, very, very exciting. It's great to see them end that personal seven-game losing streak And I love seeing the real heat and animosity brewing in that series. There are incredible stakes here. It's like big time pressure for the Oilers and kind of free roll at the table stuff for L.A. And I think we saw that urgency in game two. The Oilers were sensational, especially in the second period 35 to 15 in the shot attempts, 19 to 9 in the shots, 3 nothing, most importantly in goals. I wonder if that's the turning point in the series. Was that the moment where the Oilers figured out this puzzle, puzzle where they can make sure the talent discrepancy, at least on the offensive side, uh, does play out on the scoreboard? And I got to admit, I, I hope so. It is really breathtaking to watch that team in front of that barn playing the way they did in game two, the possibilities of the battle of Alberta in the next round and the physicality, a real underrated sort of standard that Jay Woodcroft has inserted with that team, Edmonton physical Connor McDavid throwing big hits, some of which are borderline illegal, but that team took it to the next level in game two. It was very fun to watch that game. Now, Minnesota, St. Louis is probably up there as well in terms of intrigue but here's where the schedule pains me because this could wind up being the series I see the least of unless it goes the full seven games which is very very possible Uh, it could be the best series too um, but it's overlap right now with Toronto Tampa and I'm having trouble seeing too much of it for that reason but what I know from what I've read and what little I've seen has been a tale of two games so far. I mean, we had frustration from the Minnesota Wild reaching its boiling point in game one with Jared Spurgeon, the captain, and a Lady Bing potential finalist trying to break Pavel Buchnevich's tibias uh, in a moment in front of the net. And then we saw full catharsis from Minnesota in the form of a six goal outburst. In game two, a hat trick from Kirill Kaprizov. Very good things and a beautiful bounce back effort from the Minnesota Wild. This series feels like it's going to swing back and forth from one game to the next. We're going to have Flurry starring one night, Vili Husso starring the other night. It feels like it's going to be that way till the end. So it is possible that I catch the best of this series on the back half of it. Let's do first impressions of the other four series before we move on to Toronto and Tampa Bay. And we kind of knew what we were getting from Calgary and Colorado mismatches coming into round one with Calgary meeting the Dallas stars in Colorado with Nashville. And I think both those teams showed that dominance, but in different ways in game one, I think they were probably both pretty equal in terms of executing their game plan, but one produces wide margins, Colorado blowing the doors off Nashville and the other produces slim ones. Um, Colorado, If I got anything right, it's that they're not ready to play with their food in round one. They seem like they want to get through Nashville as quick as possible, and why not? They have such an important uh, playoffs ahead, and to just get through a physical team as quick as possible portends good things. Calgary, meanwhile, they scored just once in the game, but they protected and protected and protected and limited Dallas to just 16 shots, and despite that, like, they were one bounce away, one unlucky bounce away from that game being tied and going to overtime while... Colorado just tore through the competition it's funny right because I don't know which one you'd rather have right Colorado there's no chance they're losing that in that game but Calgary you know it was kind of up in the air but when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs what would you rather have would you rather dominant be dominant against lesser competition in ways in which you just overwhelm them on the scoreboard does that mean or portend good things for the future or does the ability to suck the life out of an opponent like Calgary did and like Daryl Sutter is one to do, is that better for the future and, and what is to come? I mean, these two teams have been staring at each other, it seems, sending some messages through the media for a long portion of the season. And it really is dominance in two different ways. And if they do collide, I guess we'll see which, which type of dominance wins out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Uh, top of the marquee, though, on the second, fourth, and sixth and eighth nights of the postseason is the New York Rangers and Pittsburgh Penguins. They grab most of the headlines for a variety of reasons. I mean, they went to three overtimes. The game was played in New York. Seventy-nine saves for the presumptive Vesna Trophy winner. A goaltending change on the Pittsburgh side and an admission to eating spicy pork and one of the best sound bites we are going to hear these playoffs um, th- through until the end. But. Despite it being pretty hilarious, I don't know if the future is all that entertaining if you're a Penguins fan, because it's not just a one-off for Louis Domingue, apparently. We're going to see him in game two, and in some ways, while it is mission accomplished for the Penguins getting a split in New York, you think you have to be concerned about the Penguins going down to a third goaltender in Louis Domingue when it's Igor frigging Shostyurkin on the opposite side. But looking at what's happening on the ice, or in terms of the skaters, nothing can compare on the New York side to Sidney Crosby and the partnership with Jake, Jake Gensel. I mean, Crosby was sensational in game one. He was all season long. It just was overlooked largely because we saw so many other great performances. This could be one of his last chances to go on a very long postseason run and with the way he's playing sleep on him at your own peril. Uh, The shock though, of the first three nights was the caps taking game one off the president's trophy, winning Florida Panthers, I don't want to overreact to, to this one too much. I actually think it might be a decent reminder for the Panthers. Uh, they got, this is a team that got away with a lot in the regular season, especially down the stretch because they were able to just outscore their issues all the time because the attentiveness and the details in the opposition in the regular season, especially down the stretch in a season that had no parody. Uh, it, it, they just weren't there. But Washington did a great job of closing down the access to Elias uh, Samsonov And Florida is going to have to be a little bit more deliberate in the way they go about things in order to have the same success in the postseason. A reminder of that this soon, while there's plenty of runway left on the season, that might be the best thing for them. I I would expect a far better effort from Florida in game two. Okay, let's go Leafs and Lightning. uh, A series which has been defined so far and most representative of the fact that it seems like there's a crackdown or a concerted effort to call more penalties. There's been a, ridiculous amount of minor penalties called in this game uh there's been it seems as much five on four plays there's been five on five play and i think after game two uh it's pretty safe to say that the lightning have adjusted a little bit faster than toronto to these conditions the leafs were propelled forward by the results of special teams In game one, we saw Mitch Marner and David Kampf just starring shorthanded and stymieing Tampa across a five minute power play that they got after Kyle Clifford was ejected within the first few shifts. They were so good from a shorthanded standpoint um, that it really set the tone for that game. But taking penalties is not a repeatable strategy against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning scored three times on the power play in game two. They had multiple opportunities with the man advantage in all three periods There were just awful penalties taken at all times for the Maple Leafs in game two. And it's probably the main reason why they lost. But big picture, though, the biggest plus for Toronto is also its biggest concern. Matthews and Marner have been sensational like they have been all season. They took so much heat for last year's playoffs after being shut down by Phil Deneau and both this season have been and returned to being nothing short of sensational. They produced two even strength goals in each game. Uh, they've had a different lineup in each or, or a different line made in both of those games. Matthews hasn't been scored on. He has a personal five and zero on ice goal differential at all strengths. Marner has been on the ice for seven of the eight goals that Toronto has produced so far in the series, but While there's great things following them around, nothing is happening after them beyond strong shorthanded play in game one, really. And a lot of people have to wear this. A lot of players have to wear this. Not necessarily defense score, but the bottom nine. But John Tavares has to wear this first and foremost. He's been lost so far in this series, sort of in the shuffle. Like he gets out on the ice. There's some skating through the neutral zone. little, Little opportunity with the puck. And then it's back to the bench. He has two even strength shots uh, so far through two games. 0.1 expected goals individually at five on five. He hasn't been scored on yet, which I guess is a positive. You don't want to be losing John Tavares minutes, but a wash is not good enough for an $11 million forward. This is a fast and physical series that he is having trouble getting involved in. And really the only compliment you could pay him is that he's won draws at a really high rate on the power play, creating possessions for what has been an important part of earning a split so far. But possession on the power play and establishing that is not enough from John Tavares. He, like Pierre Engvall, Ilya Mikheyev, William Nylander, these guys have to give more. The Leafs cannot be a one-line team and expect to get past the Tampa Bay Lightning. You can't have passengers and beat the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. The Leafs are desperate to change the story. And the story will change as of right now. It is on that trajectory where it will change. But the only change right now that's guaranteed, or at least it seems, is that Matthews and Marner won't be it. It won't be what they didn't do. It will be what didn't happen beneath that superstar tandem that let the Leafs down if they wind up losing the series. There is more that Tavares and everyone else have to provide if this team is going to use those superstar contributions from Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner to knock off the champions and go on a long postseason run. We are into night four. Lots of series about to switch cities. It can't get better than this. The Stanley Cup playoffs continue here on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast and we'll have much more coverage. Reminder to watch in the mess in the mentions with Omar White after every leaf game. I'm writing after every leaf game. Our our team is writing off all the Canadian series and getting as much content out there as possible. We've got it all on lock at Yahoo Sports. We encourage and we appreciate that you follow along.